Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Houston to speak with Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets about the DeMarcus Cousins situation and the rest of the Houston Rockets team. We go to Chicago to speak with Matt Peck of Locked On Bulls about Zach Levine's impressive season and his all-star candidacy. And lastly, we go to New Orleans to speak with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about Zion Williamson and the way that he is handling things and the rest of the team with the New Orleans Pelicans. It's all coming up, the bigger stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Lots for us to talk about today in the NBA, so let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Rockets Podcast. Jackson Gatlin is here with me, Jackson. The DeMarcus Cousins experience experiment is over, but not over. Where, where, where are we at? Like, there's conflicting reports, I guess, that they're going to be moving on from him, but now he's still going to be starting. Yeah, and now he's not practicing. Like, what's happening with DeMarcus Cousins? So uh, what's what's essentially going on, Josh, is, um, you know, the, the organization, first off, is very grateful to Cousins and how mature and, and just professional he's been during his time here in Houston, which is why they actually extended the offer of guaranteeing his contract for the rest of the season, which is not something that they had to do, especially given the circumstances that it seems like uh, this has probably been something that didn't just creep up last minute. The organization, Cousins, they've probably been uh, discussing this uh, this relationship and how it's just, you know, either it's not, you know, it's not fulfilling, it's not working out for both sides. And, you know, the the idea that they potentially want to move on and part ways now, whether that be just by waiving Cousins or by actually um, – facilitating a trade and finding a trade par- trade partner for him. That part is kind of TBD, but the Rockets went out of their way. They guaranteed his contract because they've appreciated what he's brought to the organization, his level of professionalism. Um, so where it stands right now and the way that I'm viewing the situation is Cousins is still going to play and still going to participate and be an active member of the team in the coming days, but they are actively looking for a resolution and eventually he'll be on the way out whether in the form of just being waived so that he can join another team where he has a role that is uh, more in line with what he'd like to accomplish uh, or via a trade to actually get back some semblance of value for him. Now, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins carries a lot of name brand value in the NBA. So you see talks of, oh man, all these teams should go after DeMarcus Cousins. But how does that marry up with what we've actually seen and what you've seen from him on the court this season. Because from me watching the Rockets games that I've watched, yeah, defensively, there's been, um, to put it kindly, some issues. He has uh, he struggled with that part of the game. His uh, shooting efficiency hasn't been there. And he is clearly not the DeMarcus Cousins of old. So can he actually help a team? You know, it's it's really tough, Josh. I, I am still, even though they've, they've gotten to this point in the relationship where they have decided that, that they are going to part ways... I do still think that he can be beneficial to a team, not in a starting caliber role, um, potentially in a role where he can be that backup big for 10 to 15 minutes a night, potentially. Um, because even though he's had you know his struggles defensively and offensively, there's some limitations to what he does bring to the table now. Um, you know, he's not 
a horrendous player, right? You can do much worse for a backup big man in today's NBA than DeMarcus Cousins, who defensively, he's still a smart defender. He's he's limited, unfortunately, a little bit physically. Um, you kind of get hamstrung into having to play drop coverage. If you've got DeMarcus Cousins out there, you can't switch things out. You know, you really have to have uh, really strong defenders, one through four, really good point of attack defenders if you're going to have DeMarcus Cousins out there. And then offensively, he does still bring you some really quality passing from the five spot as well as that outside three point shot, but he can't really roll anymore. He doesn't really have the post up game. His, his uh, dribble penetration, you know, driving in off the three point line is just non-existent because he's just not moving very well offensively. Um, So I think there's possibly a way for him to still be, uh, beneficial to another team out there, but the Rockets are just at this point where they they want to play younger, they want to play faster, um, and once they get Christian Wood back in the rotation, that means limited run for Demarcus Cousins, anyways. And I just don't think that's you know something that he wanted to you know stick with for the rest of the season. So the talk from Silas also has been that they want to play more small ball, and they've been doing that obviously with PJ Tucker. But also, let's let's talk about Jay Sean Tate, who's been playing. Uh, you know, he's a starter now for this team, which I don't think anyone would have really seen coming at the start of the season. Uh, he plays some small ball center as well. He has really stepped it up for this Rockets team. So is this a is this sort of move just saying, well, you know, we really love what Tate is providing here for us? And we think he can play you know, backup five and start on the wing and be a huge contributor and someone that we can have as as part of our, our rota- rotation moving forward in the coming years as we rebuild this thing. I think what we've seen in, in short bursts, and we've seen this for, honestly, a two to three years now. Um, and it kind of started with the golden state warriors and their, uh, their quote unquote, the Hamptons five lineup, right. Where they would, you know, play small quote unquote, even though you've got Katie out there running around as, you know, six eleven seven footer, but, um, they would play small, but they would only do it for stretches of a game. You know, playing small, it gives you an inherent advantage, but it also presents some unfortunate disadvantages. Like you're, you are susceptible to getting out rebounded by the opponent. You're susceptible to uh, giving up easy looks on the interior, depending on the size of the opponent. There's some disadvantages, but the advantages that it provide the the switching defense, being able to guard positions one through five, being able to really kind of. Um, take opposing offenses out of what they traditionally want to try and accomplish by switching everything. Um, there's just too many benefits to it. But what we've seen historically now for a couple of years and the Rockets, especially having committed fully to small ball at the tail end of last season, um, you know, after the NBA restart and well into the postseason, we kind of saw that there's diminishing returns on it when you run it for a full 48 minutes. So I think what they're kind of envisioning is you can run, you know, your traditional system with Christian Wood out there at the five spot um, for anywhere from, you know, 30 to 38, 36 minutes a night, whatever have you. And then that other 10 to 12 minutes that Christian Wood is off the floor conceivably, that's where you can run some combination of Jay Sean Tate or PJ Tucker or hell, even David Nwaba at the five spot, you know, and essentially play, a lineup of five wing guys who can all switch positions one through five. And um, you know, they're, they're going to have to rebound by committee and things like that, but it kind of gives you a different look, gives you a different dynamic um, and gives you an inherent advantage when used in short spurts throughout a game. Last question for you here, Jackson. Um, Victor Oladipo currently dealing with an injury. hasn't played for a while. Uh, is his future on this team? I don't personally see it. Um, you know, Victor Oladipo is a guy who, you know, at one point in time, you can maybe make the argument, yeah, he, you know, all NBA caliber defender, all-star level uh, offensive player, and yet maybe he would have been worth 
um, the contract that he's seeking or going to be seeking at the end of this season at one point in his career. But I just can't see it at this point. You know, it's hard for me to even, uh, you know, say that he is uh, the clear cut third option on this team at this point, the way that Christian Wood has been playing with how well Eric Gordon has been playing. And then John Wall's resurgence as well. Victor Oladipo just hasn't been able to find a rhythm. Now, unfortunately for this Rockets team, they've been riddled with injuries. They've had lineup issues, guys in and out, you know, no consistency whatsoever. And so that doesn't exactly help things, but even when they did have that stretch where they had, you know, everybody present um, during that stretch where they went, uh, they won seven out of eight games, and uh, the team was really clicking on all cylinders. Victor Oladipo still couldn't quite find himself uh, within this team. Now his defense has been pretty great, uh, but offensively he has really struggled. It's coupled, you know, with a, a shooting slump, and he just hasn't really found himself in this Rocket system. So I truly think that they're going to try and move on from him at the deadline and flip him in some kind of a deal. Um, I do not think his long-term future is with the Houston Rockets. Thank you, Jackson, for coming on, talking about the DeMarcus Cousins situation and all things Houston Rockets. And if you want to hear more about the Rockets, check out Jackson on Locked On Rockets. Thanks, and Jackson, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. As always, a pleasure, Josh. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over. That's, that's great. But the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you can receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only if you use our promo code LOCKED ON. So that's right, you deposit 100 bucks, they'll give you $50 bonus money on top of that. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. We're covering everything you need to know about the NBA, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Bulls podcast, Matt Peck, is here with me. Matt, Zach Levine has been taking his game to probably another level this year than where he was last year. Um... And it feels, it does feel like an all-star berth is almost inevitable. Let's just phrase it this way. How um, how irate will Chicago fans be if Levine doesn't make the all-star team? They'll be pretty upset, Josh. Uh, you know, torches and pitchforks out, outside the United Center. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Billy Donovan gave him a pretty great recommendation in his post-game thoughts after their win over the Kings on Saturday night. Uh, just talking about the ways in which he's elevated his game individually, uh, especially when you look at how efficient he has been scoring compared to maybe last season when he was a 25 points per game kind of scorer. Uh, but just, you know, take the Kings game, for example, 38 points on 15 of 20. Just one of the many examples of how efficient he's been scoring. And there are noticeable improvements on his defensive side of the ball as well, which, of course, as you know, has always been one of the big sticking points for the Zach Levine critics out there. So I'm fully expecting the coaches to select him as an all-star reserve. Yeah, look, I've been a critic of Zach Levine in the past because you know, he scored and he had issues with you know, turnovers and sometimes some tunnel vision. And his defense was, you know, one of the worst. It was one of the worst defenders in the league. I don't think there's any any point of you know, sugarcoating that. He just did not pay attention. But I'm glad you brought it up because his defense has been significantly better this year. He has been more engaged. He's paying more attention. 
The team is you know, pushing towards a playoff spot. They're currently in the ninth seed in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. Some of that is you know competent coaching, but it's also Levine you know, elevating his game. He's averaging over 30 points a game in the last month, and he's doing that on a 65% true shooting, which is honestly a ridiculous type of efficiency numbers. That is you know, James Harden, Steph Curry type efficiency rather than you know, a Levine who you know, was, was pretty good with that last year, but you know, 57% is not 65%. It is, it is a big difference. He has taken that step up to be the unquestioned leader on this team. Um, what do you think the defensive thing is, though, with him? Like, What has been the improvement? Is it scheme stuff that Donovan's doing? Is it Levine you know, paying more attention on that end or being more focused? What is the major difference? I, I think it's a combination of both. I think the, the blitz-heavy scheme that you know our former coach, Jim, who Bulls fans don't even like to talk about or speak his name anymore, didn't do Levine or really anybody on that team any favors because in some certain statistical areas, you know, it, it looked like it was a quote unquote efficient defense because it forced a lot of turnovers, but they also got picked apart in the pick and roll. They had, you know, opponents getting wide open corner three looks all the time. Um, and, and so with, with a, a slightly adapted defense under Billy Donovan, some more switching, uh, some more drop coverage for the bigs. I think Levine has been able to uh, you know, take a new system and also add uh, an extra level of focus and effort on that. And honestly, you know, for for several years, he was just talking about being a two-way player and increasing the effort uh, and focus. But you've really seen it in, in this season where not only is he a capable on-ball defender, but the big criticism in years past was he gets lost off the ball. He loses focus of his man off the ball. He's actually been a very solid help defender this season, um, you know, uh, contributing to getting his hands in passing lanes, creating turnovers for the Bulls that turn into easy offense. So I think it's a combination of a new system and just a, a refocused Zach Levine who knows that he needs to improve on that end and has been sick of people talking crap about his defense. Yeah, look, and that's and that's great that he's able to take that you know, consistent negative feedback, which he was getting wherever he looked. That would always happen, and you know, rightfully so, because he was bad in that area. But um, yeah, making that improvement has been absolutely massive for this team. And this is a Bulls team who, at the moment, is currently playing without uh, Otto Porter Jr. and Lowry Markkinen. Do we expect either of those guys back before the All-Star break? Man, I would not count on it, unfortunately. Uh, Lowry was initially uh, said to have a two- to four-week timeline. We're kind of halfway through that right now. Um, and, and as for Otto Porter Jr., he's he's the oldest 27-year-old in the NBA. I, I, the fact that he's currently dealing with these back spasms, the back pain flare-ups, Donovan said in his most recent update earlier this week that he's not even getting any kind of uh, running going on. Uh, he's, he's been able to get a couple of shots up here and there, but the back flare-ups are, are such a problem that his conditioning is going to take ha, has taken a big hit, so he won't actually be in game shape for another several weeks. I know Bulls fans were looking at him as a potential trade piece, you know, at at that deadline coming up next month, just because of that gigantic expiring contract he has, twenty eight million. But I, I'm not sure that there's any team out there in the NBA right now that would even see that as enough of a enticing piece just for the, the contract itself. When yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like Otto is going to be back anytime soon. So yeah, this team it made some 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 changes. The biggest one being the head coach in the offseason. But in terms of player personnel, you know, they brought in Patrick Williams in the draft. But the only other move they really made was Garrett Temple, and you know, I think that that was that really didn't you know, move any needles. No one really paid any attention to that. But Matt Garrett Temple, I, I won't say that he's the biggest single biggest factor of the Bulls being improved this year. 
but he's got to be up there in the top three with how he's playing. He's starting for this team at the moment. Like, just give us, for those of you who don't pay attention to the Bulls or don't pay attention to Garrett Temple, just how important has he been to the Bulls this season? He's, I mean, he's been essential. Uh, not only what he can do as an occasional, uh, you know, off-ball shooter, he, uh, he started the season really hot and then went through a bit of a cold streak, but has kind of come back from that. He was 6 of 9 for 14 points, and they're winning against the Kings on Saturday. Uh, but he's just a smart player. Um, you know, people talk about veterans that are needed to help a very young team like this Bulls team. The Bulls starting five is the youngest in the NBA. I mean, it, it's an average age younger than like the Wisconsin Badger starting five in college right now. So the veterans that know how to play the game and have been in the league for a long time really matter. Uh, Temple's a smart player on the defensive end. He's a versatile player who covers a lot of ground on the defensive end. And you're right to say that his addition was basically the only change in this roster compared to last season. But in another very real way, the new and emerged old fad young that the Bulls oh, are yeah. seeing this season as, as a very quality bench piece is also like getting a completely different player into this rotation because last season, uh, you know, in, in Jim's three-point happy uh, offense that just did not work, he had Thad just paroling around the perimeter. And Thad has never been a three-point shooter in his career. But he's a good soldier and a good teammate, so he did what was asked of him last season. Uh, and we're just jacking up threes all the time. This season, you're seeing how efficient he could be, not only as a low post scoring threat, but a facilitator as well, an underrated playmaker for a guy at his position. Yeah, he's been awesome as well for this team, Matt. The Bulls, it's uh, brighter days ahead at the moment. I'm sure the city is going to be celebrating when Levine does inevitably get named as an all-star. You can hear about all the takes on that over on Locked on Bulls. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Anytime, Josh. Thanks for having me. Do you guys know what the best tasting protein bar ever is? It is Built Bar, and Built Bar has six brand new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. These are bars that taste just like a candy bar. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great if you're uh, taking on a keto diet as well. If you're looking to lose weight, maintain weight, Built Bar doesn't taste like those other candy, not other candy bars. It tastes like the other candy bars. It doesn't taste like other protein bars, which tastes like they got scraped off the bottom of your shoe. Built Bar, you're going to want to eat these things and they're going to do good for you as well. Soft and easy to chew. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and you use our promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get a 20% discount off your next order. So you Use the promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Jake Madison is here with me. Jake, the Pelicans, I'm talking to you straight after a big overtime victory against the Boston Celtics. And again, it was another big night from Zion Williamson. It's been, I don't know, I don't know when it started, maybe maybe it was two, three weeks ago. A bit of a change in the way that Zion was playing and the way the Pelicans were using him in more of like a point forward role. And basically the ball is almost in his hands or Brandon Ingram's hands a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, Is that, is that something that you think that the team will continue or correct me if I'm wrong with that for a start, but is that something you think the team will continue to do? It's just basically Ingram and Zion running everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not entirely that, but you're not far off. Certainly they're kind of running Zion as that point forward and running the offense through him. And when you see him scoring at a 65% plus clip in terms of his uh, field goal percentage, he's just such a focal point of the offense and has so much court gravity that it opens things up for others, Brandon Ingram included. And that's led to really good things. And I think when you look at it over these past, the past month or so is probably safe to say the Pelicans have had the top offense or, or a top two, three offense during that stretch. And if it's working like that, 
you absolutely have to keep it going forward. And Zion with the passing has certainly shown off that he's capable of having games where he has five, six, even seven assists. I don't think it's going to be Nikola Jokic levels of passing and assists, but certainly he can get to five plus per game, I think, um, or at least in big games. And it's leading to just really good things. And as long as the rest of the team is making their three pointers, and that was a problem early on for New Orleans, the offense is at least going to be good. Defensively, other issues there, but certainly offensively, this seems like a great use of Zion. Yeah, look, basically when you see Zion with the ball, like you get when he gets to the rim, it's it's almost impossible to stop him. Like we're talking about a guy whose field goal percentage and uh, yeah, true shooting percentage is, is out of control, especially because he seems to have figured out his free throws as well, which is, is a great sign. But the thing that has impressed me the most, like we, we saw him being unstoppable in terms of being able to finish around the rim. He is the best rim finisher in the game, I would say, at this point. Maybe that's yeah, high praise, but I'd say that he probably is. I don't know who else would be close to it. Um, but his passing has been super impressive because the amount of gravity that he has when he's driving to the rim because they know that he can't be stopped and then he just finds those open three-point shooters um, and, and it is what they need to be building on and I think I've been pleasantly surprised with his um, drive and kick game um, and that ability to find those open shooters with with passes when yeah he could barrel into guys and, and get those two points but if he's slightly in trouble he'll hit those open guys and it's been a real um, change to his game that we've seen that uh, come along because we didn't really see flashes of that all that much last season and even in the early part of this year so it's been a, a big step forward for Zion Williamson do you think there's any chance he makes the All Star team? Uh, I hope so. I look, you know, when you look at the numbers, particularly that he's been averaging over the past month of 60 plus percent shooting in 24 points per game. And I think in the month of February, he actually averaged 65 percent shooting or better in all of those games. You kind of need to put him in, right? Like, I think he's a better player right now and the best player on the Pelicans team over Brandon Ingram. And Ingram's averaging the same numbers he averaged last year, which made him an all-star. So when I look at kind of the efficiency that he has and the scoring that he's doing, and then you add into those assists, he's significantly better than he was last year. He's significantly better than he was to begin the year because I don't think he was capable of making some of these passes to start the year off. I think you've got to put him in. I did a podcast on it saying he should be in really breaking down the numbers and the historic level of offensive efficiency from him. What about the the other the, the new players who arrived this year? Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe. Um, it's safe to say their impact has been subpar or below expectation maybe is, is more of a, of a fair way to put that. Yeah, let's start with Bledsoe because we hear all this you know, talk about you know, maybe they're going to move on from players like um, Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick, and Bledsoe's name doesn't really get brought up, but at the moment, we're seeing him start, but he's playing fewer minutes than Josh Hart almost every night. Is that just a way for Van Gundy to almost placate him? Like, you're a starter, but you're not actually going to be a closer, and it's going to be Hart that's playing these minutes? Like, where is Bledsoe sitting in this franchise? I haven't been pleased with Bledsoe's play this season. I don't think the Pelicans have either. I wonder if the reason that he's not coming up in trade talks is because of his contract, and maybe it makes it a little bit more difficult to move compared to a guy like J.J. Redick, who has an expiring and a veteran three-point shooter. Like You know what he brings, right? That adds some value to him. Lonzo Ball is at least a young player that you can look at if you like him, has a lot of upside, so it probably helps his trade value. And then you have Eric Bledsoe. Like what, what, what's Eric Bledsoe worth? And I kind of struggle with that to see why a team would necessarily move for him right now like what team thinks Eric Bledsoe is the difference maker right that gets them from solid playoff team to title contender out of the playoffs into the playoffs there's just better guys you could go and get and when you look at how streaky he's been offensively he'll have a night where he explodes for 30 points 
it's one every 10 games. The inconsistency has really hurt the Pelicans as they've tried to kind of figure out who they are and what their identity is. And then this year on the defensive side of the ball, an area the Pelicans are struggling mightily in right now. This is not an all defensive team player right now. So, you know, at this point, I think the Pelicans probably need to not start him, but I wonder if they're playing him also as a starter to try and increase his trade value. And if the right offer came for him, they'd move on from him in a second. In terms of, you know, Steven Adams, I don't know if you need to be paying a center and they signed him to an extension when they traded for him to 18 plus million dollars, you know, over the next two seasons. It's not that long. It's not the worst contract probably out there. And at the same point, the Pelicans are the best offensive rebounding team, the fourth best defensive rebounding team. He's a big part of it. And so given all of that, like I can't complain that much. And look at what Zion's doing around the rim with a lack of spacing around him. He's doing a lot of this work when Steven Adams is out there on the court that if it does work and you can still rebound, like why not? But at the same point, like I, I'm kind of with you that it's not, he doesn't feel like the most impactful player on the team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball where they could really use him. I do wonder if injuries are catching up to him just a little bit. Well, we hear this talk about the Pelicans here looking to trade Lonzo or you talk about Bledsoe or talk about Reddick, but we don't really hear much about what they want back. So what does this team need? Because they, you know, they big win today, obviously, but they're sitting on the outside of even the play-in game discussion at the moment. So they need to start you know, getting getting going. And they've had some rough games of late. Um, yeah, that win today was obviously good, but there's been some poor losses in this. So what what do they need back? It's, so that's kind of the million dollar question. And honestly, it, it's tough to try and figure out given kind of the messaging coming from the team itself. When you try and read between the lines of what David Griffin is saying, he wants to compete right now. They want to go out and win games. So are you, are you trading for players that are good right now and going to help you get into the playoffs? That seems like the Pelicans of old, right? Under the Dell Demps era around Anthony Davis, trading for those established veteran players and moving first round picks for those guys. I, I hope the Pelicans don't go that route. I'd like them to stock their war chest of picks up even more so that they can eventually become really aggressive in terms of trying to land a star player, not like a middling starter kind of level player. And I think this team shouldn't be pushing for the playoffs right now and start trying to find just tough, motivated young guys, right? That feels like what this team is needed. Compare them to the Memphis Grizzlies, for example. Look at all of those young guys and how hard they try, how much they give a damn on defense, which you don't really see from this Pelicans roster. And I'd like some types of players like that. You've got the top two guys in Zion and Brandon Ingram set. You need to fill it out with quality starters and then role players around them. So if you could move those guys for a late first round pick, plus a young guy who's maybe not great offensively, but shows some promise, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I'd be happy with that. And that's what I hope the Pelicans are looking to try and acquire as well. And not thinking about what's the guy right now that helps us go from 11th in the West to eighth in the West. It is going to be interesting to see what they do. Like Zion's basically must-watch TV anytime he's out there, and the Pelicans yeah, sh- could shake things up quite a bit in the coming weeks. Jake, you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Pelicans. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're checking out our new show, Locked On Today. You've got Locked On Bets. You've got all the shows covering all of the NBA teams, NFL teams, Major League Baseball, NHL, so many shows right across the network. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.